0: This morning, we're going to be exploring together the concept of God's unchangeability, which is uh, easy to define, and yet it's a little difficult to make sense of. And so, uh, our title of the message here is God is Unchangeable, but if that's not uh, exciting enough, I have a subtitle that's called Stay To the right side of the podium, which is right here. And so, by the end of this message, I want you guys here with me, not physically, but in spirit. And you'll see what I mean a little bit later. So, here's how I'd like to go about doing this this morning I'm going to start off with uh, the biblical basis for God's unchangeability to show you that this idea is rooted in the scriptures. We don't fabricate it. Uh, please note that this morning, I'm, I'm not expositing any biblical texts for you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be explaining an idea. So this is a teaching message. So I'll be looking around, seeing which one of you are understanding who's going like this and the person who's doing this, that's when I say something really profound, so we'll have to wake you up. After the biblical basis, we're gonna move right into a definition of God's unchangeability. Then we're going to go into an explanation and some theological reasons, objections, and an application, which is a lot to do in one half hour, but we're gonna try it. So let's go ahead and get started. The biblical basis for God's unchangeability... Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. And First Samuel 15 says, the strength of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. That's what we have to remember when it comes to unchangeability. God is not a man. He doesn't do things like we do. Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1.17, every perfect gifts from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 102, which we just heard in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the heavens and the earth, or the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you remain the same and your years will never end. And Hebrews 13, eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means when you get to heaven and after you get done worshiping and confessing your sin and you're seeing Jesus, you walk up to him and he's just kind of stone cold. He doesn't move. He's frozen in the chair. No, that's not what that means. We're gonna have to figure that out later. Hebrews six says, in the same way God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So you can see that this idea of unchangeability is found in the scriptures. And now we're going to move on to a definition of it we're going to start with what unchangeability does not mean. And pretty straightforwardly, God's unchangeability does not mean that he is static or frozen or impersonal. It doesn't mean that he's indifferent or distant or disengaged from your life. So, we're going to have this; these ideas, they kind of crop up as we as we try to tease out this idea of unchangeability. What does unchangeability mean though? Well, straightforwardly, it means that in God, there neither is nor can be any change whatsoever. That's a pretty straightforward definition. We're not hiding anything. It means he never changes his nature, character, or purpose. It means all that God is He always was and forever will be. So, and to quote a theologian, not merely is there no beginning and no end of God's existence, but no new state can arise either in God's nature or being or in the order of his thought or volition. In other words, God cannot be anything new. He cannot think anything anything new, and he cannot do anything new. (laughs) Oops, let's just, sorry, that verse is not found in the oldest and best manuscripts. We'll just ignore it. No, we'll come back to it later. But that's kind of a theological hang-up, if you will. It's counterintuitive, because if you can't change at all, then how do you do anything in the first place? Because if you do something, whatever it is, whereas you did not do it before, that implies what? This is the interactive portion of our program. Yeah, there we go. Change. That's right. So, in order to make sense of unchangeability, (laughs) at least I I hope to. I hope you guys don't walk out of here completely confused, but you might. We'll see. We're going to step back for a minute and ask the question, what is God. Now, this is, was that me? Question four of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is God? And I have to turn to read it, but it says this, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now that unchangeability part is the one that we're after, but in order to tease that out a little bit, we have to go after those first three, the spirit infinite and eternal. It should say God is is spirit, not a spirit, but that's all right. So let's let's talk about what God is for a minute here. When we think about God, we can see that he is infinite, holy, power, I can't remember the order these are in, spirit, eternal, love, wisdom, and unchangeable. He is all these things. But it's those bottom four that we find in the first part of this Westminster Catechism. And so we're gonna just touch briefly on spirit and infinite and eternal. When we say that God is spirit, we're talking about being Holy, immaterial, holy with a W. He's without a body or parts, a formless substance. It doesn't just mean invisible. The the air that you're breathing in this room right now, you can't see, but there's still molecules that are part of the material world. When we're talking about spirit though, we mean something that's not part of the physical world. Okay, incorporeal, immaterial, however you wanna say it. There's an aspect of God and there's an aspect of you that is not wholly related to your material constitution. You could just call it spiritual. God is spirit. Infinite. God is also not bounded. He is unlimited. He's unbounded in both existence and attributes. So if God is infinite love, for example, or if God is love, then he's also infinite love. If God is power, he's infinite power. That's just what he is, okay? What about knowledge? Does God have knowledge? Yes, in an infinite way. Now, I hate to put it this way, but maybe it'll be helpful. His, his infinite knowledge, is a, it's a fixed quantity. So, if you know everything already, can you learn anything new? Okay. If you know all of the outcomes perfectly, that will ever happen, can you change your mind about anything? What's he going to change it to? He knows everything perfectly. So, this last one, eternal. When it comes to eternal, this is going to mean that God is timeless. There's no past, present, or future with him. His whole life is a simultaneous now. So as where you and I go through life in successive stages of when you were younger and middle age, and then you get older, God doesn't experience that. He's not conscious of that in himself, if you will. His life is a simultaneous, complete and perfect possession of uninterruption an eternal now. And we need to we need to camp here for a second because to be eternal is going to be part and parcel with this unchangeability. In other words, if you're eternal, you're unchangeable. And if something's unchangeable, it's eternal as well. So let's talk about this for a sec. Does anybody know what this is right here? And I know that's Spider-Man. That's not what I'm asking. I mean, Does anybody recognize the event? Raise your hand if you think you know what event this is. Corey, what do you got? Macy's Thanksgiving Day. I used to love this when I was growing up. Started getting a little funky later on, but I used to watch this every year. I really enjoyed this. All right. And you've seen one of these floats or whatever it's called, right? All right. For the younger children, somebody tell me who this next one is, this next character yeah, you guys should never watch that, ever. That's the modern day version of Ren and Stimpy. Well, you can watch, well, never mind. <laughs> what if I get off on this tangent about what I think people should watch and not? Okay. What is that? Yeah, anybody have a Sega growing up? I did. All right. All right, now for, now for if, you're, if you're older, what's this last one? Okay, don't switch to the next slide yet, Beth. What do these things have in common here? Well, if you've ever seen a parade, I mean who's everybody's seen a parade before everybody's been to a parade? Okay your frame of reference is the same with all the Paraders. I don't know if that's a word, on the ground, right? You're all watching the floats come by one after another, succession, succession, so on and so forth. You're getting them successively. But if you're standing on top of a building looking down, then you're able to see the entire thing as a simultaneous whole. God does that with life He doesn't experience things as they come one at a time. He looks from the top down where he comprehends the entire thing immediately. And because he's omnipresent, present everywhere, he sees things from every vantage point simultaneously, not in succession. But not only does he see this, he also sees this. Immediately, instantly, and everything that occurs in it. And not only does he see this, but he also sees... Now, I don't know if you know what that is. That is not a galaxy. That is a model of the universe. And I have to apologize for Will. I know there's a cone and different models, but I thought this one would be good. All right. I have to apologize to the physics professor in the back. All right. All of time in the successive moments take place inside that bubble that you see on the screen. Outside of the bubble, what is there? And the answer is eternity. In other words, God. And because he is spirit, immaterial, not only is he outside the bubble, but his very existence permeates the entire universe that you see. And so, this is why Paul says in Acts that Paul doesn't say, well, outside of God or next to God, we live, move, and have our being. He says what? In God, we live and move and have our being. God upholds everything that's in there. And that's where time takes place. So we are inside that universe, which means we can look back to our past and we think about it. And we live in the now, but we look forward to the future. But would you believe God looks downward to see all of those immediately? Or if we wanna be really specific, he doesn't even technically look downward. What he does is look inward because that whole thing and everything in it pre-exists in him since he is the cause and creator of it all. So he knows how all these things are, can be, should be, will be, etc. Simply by knowing himself, he knows everything else as well. So God doesn't exist in time and therefore he doesn't change with time. All right. Now, what does all that mean? Well, it means that creation doesn't change God because it isn't creation in time, but it's creation of time. It means that God can will things to change without changing his will. I'll explain that. It also means that we can change in how we relate to God without changing God, and I'll show you a little graph of that later to understand how that makes a little more sense. Now, if you say to me now, so that's, that's your explanation, you might want your money back. Well, I'm not finished. We're gonna move now to the theological reasons and the objections, because what we're doing is we're slowly chipping away at how we might normally think about this until hopefully by the very end, we might expose a little more light on the topic. We'll see. All right. Theological reasons. I only have two because my wife says more is or less is more for me. So all right. These are two brief ones. I just bear with me through this and then we'll get to something more fun. Alright, here's an argument from God's eternity. Whatever changes is different before the change than it is after the change. Does that make sense? Everybody we got that one? Okay, you're different before a change than after. But an eternal being has no before and after. That's what it means to be eternal. Therefore, God doesn't change. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody get a headache from that? All right. All right. Here's one more from God's perfection. Contemporary philosophers don't like this one. All right, change occurs when a thing loses something loses anything it has or gains what it does not have. Now, a perfect being can't lose or gain anything or it wouldn't be perfect. Therefore, a perfect being cannot change. I can't deal with the rebuttal to that right now. Somebody rebuts that and there's a rebuttal to the rebuttal. But anyway, does that make sense? If a being is perfect, if it has everything that it has, to its plenitude of having it. Can't get you God can't become perfecter. Does that make sense? He also can't lose what he has because if he loses what he has, then he would become imperfect in some way, like he should have what he now no longer has. So if he's perfect, he can't change either. All right. Let's get to something a little more tangible here and you'll have to excuse me because I have to do one of these as we go through the objections. All right, let's deal with a few objections here. Objection number one says this. The Bible gives examples of God changing his mind and even repenting. You remember that story at the flood or that God created man, he repented of that. So thus God seems to change, right? All right, well, in response to that, the Bible employs language from the standpoint of the observer. Does anybody remember what the name of that language is called, what we call it? It's the same language weather people use. The sun rises, the sun sets. Don't the weather people know that the sun isn't moving, it's actually the earth rotating? Yeah. But from the standpoint of us on planet earth, right, we see the sun do this without us moving. That's called phenomenological language. You're looking at it, it's a phenomenon from the standpoint of the observer. But God doesn't see that. From the observer's point of view, it appears that God changes. All right. Now, Objection two says, God dealt with Nineveh in Jonah's preaching. You guys know, know Nineveh, Jonah, and the whale, right? Okay. God dealt differently with Nineveh after Jonah's preaching than before. If people really experience God differently at different times, then God changes. How do we respond to that? Well, in response, Nineveh did really experience God changing and they experience God's mercy instead of his wrath, but it's not because Nineveh changed, or I'm sorry, it's not because God changed, it's because the people of Nineveh changed. So check this out. Dan, I found a photo of you that I put on here. All right. Which way, is this guy going, is he biking with the wind or against it? All right, check this out. Go ahead, Beth. I can't can't change. (laughs) Sorry, that's the best I could do this morning. Ignore the mountain moving. That just means the guy has faith. All right, which way is the wind? Is the guy going with the wind or against it now? Okay. Did the wind change? Is the guy experiencing the wind differently? Who changed? Yeah, the guy changed. All right. Objection three. Objection three. This has to do with prayer. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And the Bible teaches God's move by prayer. That's what it says in 2 Samuel, therefore God changes. How to respond to that? Well, God ordains our prayers to accomplish his goals. Prayer does not overcome God's reluctance. Instead, it's him utilizing our readiness. In other words, your prayers are really mechanisms, they're like light switches that God uses to, think of a light switch turned off, that God uses to turn on the light switch, effect something in reality. Your prayers do really change things, but it's that God has already determined that that thing would happen based upon your prayer. He uses your prayers as a vehicle to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. But he himself does not need to change for that. All right. Next. Jesus is God. Jesus changes. Therefore, God changes. How do you respond to that? Jesus has two natures. Okay. The human nature changes. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. The divine nature, whereby Jesus is the great I am of the Old Testament, that doesn't change. That's what we mean. You could say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In his divine nature, that's absolutely true. He doesn't change at all. But in his human nature, characteristically of his character, he doesn't change either. All right. Next objection. God says, behold, I'm about to do a new thing. If God does something new, whatever it is, then he changes. Well, Firstly, what is new to people isn't necessarily new to God, just like what's new to your children isn't necessarily new to parents, right? So, it's not wrong to say that he's doing something new. And even the old, uh, even the new covenant, for example, was predicated or based upon the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation says. So, nothing is new in that sense, The Bible shows that God's acts are in time though. Therefore, God changes, right? God acts in time in the Bible. Therefore, if if his acts are in time, he must be in time. Well, God's effects are in time, but his actions are from eternity. All right, check this out because this is the best way to understand it if we can get it. Just like your doctor, if you have a doctor, If you don't, there's some good ones in here. Just like a doctor would prescribe a medicine until you're not sick anymore, so God acts from eternity for things to occur in time. So for example, in your doctor's one act of will or prescription, he says, take this medicine and then stop taking it at a certain time. By one prescription, he wills two different things. Similarly, similarly, God from all eternity willed that all effects should occur moment by moment in a temporal world. And that means God knows exactly what you're going to do and how he's going to respond to you for the next 50 million years, every moment and forevermore. It's all comprehended in God's single act before you were even here really remarkable. I think that's cool. All right, last one, and then I'll stop with these. An unchangeable God seems cold and impersonal, right? Shouldn't a relationship be reciprocal, kind of give and take? You know, if, you, if I want a relationship with you, I want you to be moved or affected by what I do. So, if God can't change, then it doesn't seem like we can have a meaningful relationship with Him. How do we respond to that? Well, not only is God love, Remember, these attributes are coordinate in him. Not only is God love, he is unchanging love. And this makes God the most personal being, not the impersonal one. In a relationship with one who incessantly and unrelentingly desires your goodness and joy, that's in fact the most meaningful relationship that one can have. Does that make sense? I'm looking for the person who's like this. All right, let's move on here to application. What do we do by this? We'll, we'll wrap this up quickly. And if you want, you can have this if you want the uh, verses and all that stuff. Okay, well, to begin, what do we do with this? Well, God's presence doesn't change. The rubber's gonna meet the road after I get through these. So let me get through these quickly. Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Beth, you can just thumb through these quickly. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God's presence with you doesn't change. His character also doesn't change. You are the same, your years will never end. And Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's truth also doesn't change. The scripture says the word of the Lord endures forever. And it also says thy word is truth. Now, if the word endures forever and the word is truth, that means the truth endures forever and God cannot lie. That's what the scripture says. There are some things God cannot do. All right. God's ways do not change. I'm the Lord who ex- exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness for in these things I delight. He will always delight in these things. And Habakkuk says he cannot even tolerate longdoing, wrongdoing. It's not just that he chooses not to, it's that he can't because he is unchangeable goodness and unchangeable goodness can't tolerate wrongdoing. His purposes likewise do not change. Many are the plans of a man, but the purpose of the Lord will stand. And a a man's heart plans his ways. The Lord determines his steps. The Son of God cannot change either. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, this is the important one, He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since Jesus always lives to intercede for you all the time. You don't have to wonder if he can do it or not. He unchangeably intercedes for you when you or I screw up. Finally, God's promises do not change. If we are faithless, the scripture says, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up here. So how does this play out? Well, Jesus is God, right? Infinite spirit, unchangeable, eternal. Okay, there's the person that, you know, you're not born neutral, right? You're born on, on the side of wrath. Now, that's the person that rejects Jesus. And since Jesus always loves good and always hates evil, he's always merciful, but he always has to punish sin, that's that Exodus verse, that means that he deals with uh, sin in always the same way. And so what we would want to do, if you haven't yet, is if you change your heart and attitude toward God, you move from the left side to the right side. And I know this is my right and your left, but you know what I'm doing here. So here's where the, here's where the rubber meets the road. If you, haven't, if you haven't gotten anything, let me see if I can close with this. The point of what I'm trying to say here, here's the application of applications of this thing. God is constantly dealing with you in an unchangeable way, okay? But you and I get to determine, with God's help, how we will respond to that. Let me say that again. God deals with you in an unchangeable way all the time, moment by moment, even now, But you get to determine how to respond to that. So, if you don't know him, for instance, will you come to him? Will you open your heart and move from the right to, sorry, the left (laughs) to the right of the podium? If you do know him, how are you responding to him right now? Because if he deals with you in an unchangeable way, that means even right now, he's dealing with you in the same way. He unchangeably loves good and hates evil. Will you walk with him in obedience? Or are you wandering over to the left side? So in either case, God's unchangeable love is raining down on us. And so what we wanna do is Stay on the right side of the podium, right? All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, this is indeed a uh, hard concept to, uh, to tease out and to fathom in our minds that you are active in our lives and yet somehow are unchanging but help us to see that being unchanging doesn't mean that you are unmoving, but rather that you have set your movement since before the world began, that we would experience your activity in the theater of creation moment by moment as we live our lives, and thus your unchangeable goodness and love and mercy and justice, et cetera, uh, becomes a staple And a very practical teaching, a very practical thing to live out. God, help us to see that even now you're dealing with us in an unchangeable way and that we can respond to you. We can change our hearts, as your word says. We can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you might lift us up in due time. Or we could harden our hearts. And as your word says, today, if we hear your voice, Help us not to harden our hearts like Israel did in the rebellion, but help us be ever open in being willing to receive uh, or get rid of whatever you lay on our hearts. In all things, we ask for your love and your goodness. Please help us to be aware of those things and to appropriate them in our lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.